You guys awake yet? Feeling good? Good morning, Northern Hills. Go ahead and take a seat. Make yourself comfortable. 9 a.m. service? You lost an hour of sleep? You're still here? You're ready to go? You guys, let's go. These are the real Jesus freaks right here, okay? You're like, I'm not even going to miss church. Lost an hour of sleep. I'm going to be here early, ready to go. Love it. Those of you guys online, glad to have you with us too. If we have not met yet, my name is uh, Brian, pastor here at Northern Hills. And just some quick little house cleaning before we get going. Can you guys give me like 30 seconds? I've had a chance to talk to so many of you guys just informally, kind of offline. And a lot of you guys have been coming in new, asking about the church. And I've gotten so many questions of, how to become like an official member at Northern Hills? What are all the ways to get connected? What's going on? Whether it be with groups or discipleship or whatever. And let me just, I want to let you guys peek under the hood a little bit, all right? You get to look behind the curtain. So when I joined the staff just in January, we kind of had this moment where we said, you know what? This is kind of an opportunity to sort of hit the reset on a few things. Me being new, coming out of COVID, and that just kind of dismantling a lot of things for churches and giving them a chance to reset. And so to let you guys know, we are actually in the works of rebuilding a lot of different things around getting connected to the church, what it looks like to be a member, the different opportunities to engage so we can really help you grow in your relationship with God and meet other people. So here's what I'm let you know. It is in the works. We are working hard and diligently. It doesn't mean there's nothing going on. There are plenty of good ways to get connected. Check out the website, ask in the lobby, but there's some good things in the works. So for some of you guys that are like, I just like to do everything at church. Don't worry. Okay, it's coming. Hang tight with me for a couple weeks and it's going to happen. All right. That's all my little house cleaning and we're going to get after it. Guys, I wasn't preaching last week, so I got double the energy this morning. All right, I'm coming back. Are you, you going to give me some feedback this morning? You awake? I see coffees in your hands, so let's get the going. All right. We're going to be in Romans 1. If you brought a Bible, you can start getting ahead of me and get set up there. But 2021, just last year, there was kind of this breakout release talking about what was going on in Facebook. And there was this bombshell report that mentioned how in 2019, almost all of Facebook's top Christian pages were run by foreign troll farms. Now, I'm not going to assume we all know what a troll farm is. So just for the sake of definition, here's what I'm talking about when I say troll farm. These are actual organizations that employ people to manipulate public opinion. And sometimes they try to cause conflict, they provoke populations, primarily through the internet and particularly through social media. Now, when we say how many of the top Christian Facebook pages were run by foreign troll farms, 19 out of the top 20 were run by foreign troll farms. Now, just to give you some perspective, Facebook mentioned that 75 million Americans a month were being exposed to these Christian pages, these troll farms. And yet, if you looked at them, it was kind of interesting because they would post some kind of interesting standard Christian inspirational content, but then every now and then these pages would slip in these different posts to kind of provoke a little bit of outrage, create a little bit of division, and do all these types of things. Now, here's the thing. This internal report was not just talking about these Christian pages. They talked about how in 2020 alone, 140 million Americans a month were getting exposed to these foreign troll farm pages. Just think about that. And now... Basically, they're not just targeting religious groups. They would target racial groups, sometimes interest groups, other religious categories. But here's what we kind of know now. Social media is kind of in this constant whack-a-mole game with all of these different bots and foreign troll farms going on. Now, here's the thing. I know when you hear reports like that or any of the other news we see, I think it leaves a lot of us asking, what is true? Like, what's actually going on? Am I engaging with a person? Am I engaging with a bot? Or is this like a Russian troll farm? Am I getting the news? Or am I getting some twisted narrative to support some kind of ideology or perspective? What are the facts? I think a lot of us have been asking that question, especially in the last two years. 
Interestingly, 2,000 years ago, Jesus has this exchange with this guy named Pilate, who was a Roman governor at the time. And this guy has the power to decide Jesus' fate. And they're having this interesting conversation because Jesus says this to Pilate in John 18, 37. He says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's Jesus' claim. And Pilate's response is just a simple three words. What is truth? And that question has reverberated throughout human history for the last 2,000 years. What is truth? I think that is literally the million-dollar question today, and it is up for grabs more than it has ever been. And just in these last couple weeks, if you're just joining us, we started this series where we're just simply calling it Compelling. And the whole premise of this whole series is that Jesus' followers, Christians, are supposed to be a compelling and attractive force in the culture. We're not called to repel and push the culture away. We're called to actually engage and get involved in the world and draw people in through the love, presence, and power of God. That is what we are called to. And so in a moment where the culture is becoming increasingly hostile towards organized religion and Christianity, we're saying this is not just a moment where we're supposed to pull back. It's actually an opportunity to lean in with greater engagement to bring some real spiritual revitalization to our country and the world. That is the call of Christians in this compelling series. Now today, I want to talk about compelling truth. What even is truth? How do we even define it today? Something that is so battled over in our culture right now. And as a Christian, what is your responsibility with something as powerful and dangerous as truth? That's what we're going to hit up. So we're going to go into Romans 1 here and just to give you a little bit of context. This guy, Paul, was a Jesus fellow in the first century. He wrote some letters and he's writing to a group of Christians talking about the dynamics of truth and what happens in our cultural context. And this speaks to us just right here at this moment. I'm going to start in verse 18. This is what Paul says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? What a fun little verse to start the day off with, right? <laughs> now, here's the thing. Let's, let's, let's kind of unpack this a little bit. There's a lot in there. Now, first off, Paul introduces this idea of truth. He brings it up. And this is actually a critical concept all throughout the New Testament. It is constantly coming up, this idea of truth. And anytime the New Testament writers are talking about it, they are talking about this idea of something that is totally unhidden, something that is unconcealed. It is the essence of a matter. It is reality itself. The biblical case is that there truly is objective truth, and it can be measured against right and wrong. And interestingly, when you look through the Bible, so many times truth is interconnected with morality. You almost can't separate the two when it comes to the Christian perspective, this idea of morality and truth going together. And here's what Paul is arguing with what we just read. He's basically saying the human tendency is to seek to satisfy our own sinful, selfish desires, even to the point of suppressing truth itself. In the famous words of Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. I remember 
The first time each of my kids ever lied to me, any of you parents know that feeling, the first time it happens, it's kind of heartbreaking because you're like, oh man, there goes their innocence and now we know it's all downhill from here once the lying starts with the kids. And, and even my own daughter, Brinley, you know, she's super cute, but two weeks ago, even after church, Nicole, my wife, has taken the kids home and somehow Bryn gets a hold of an airhead. Don't know how she figures this stuff out. Don't know if one of you guys gave it to her maybe in the lobby or something, but she has her hands on an airhead. And Nicole, this is now a hostage negotiation situation for you parents that know this, all right? You can't tread lightly on this thing. And so Nicole is talking to her. She's like, okay, you can have the earhead, but first you got to wait till we get home and after we have lunch, and then you can have the earhead. And Brindley's like, okay, deal. Well, of course, a couple minutes in the car ride, Nicole goes, hey, Brindley. What? Back the car. Did you eat the earhead? No. Look in the back, face stuffed with an entire head, empty wrapper right in her lap. Even my tiny little daughter somehow has already taught herself that it is a better strategy to suppress truth than even face reality about candy. Now, we do this all the time, though. We even talk about things like inconvenient truths, stuff that we know is real, but we would rather kind of ignore because it's going to prove us wrong or force us to change, right? We talk about just brushing stuff under the rug. We do all this all the time. Some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. You watch the news, and they will conveniently just kind of avoid or not even talk about stories because it doesn't align with their particular narrative and ideology they prefer. Some of you guys might even remember some of this. Maybe you're old enough to remember. In the 1950s, cigarette companies discovered that cigarettes cause cancer. In the 1950s. You know how long it took them to finally admit publicly that that was the case? 40 years. For the, from 1950 to 1990, you would see commercials from doctors and famous people saying, they're so good for you. They're just a great way to relax, and they're good for your lungs and all that kind of stuff. 40 years. This is just what we do. And Paul, we're not going to read it right here. If you read through the rest of this chapter, he kind of unpacks what happens when we actually suppress truth in our lives. And he says, it guaranteed every single time will lead to personal and cultural decay and things just start to break apart and fall apart. He gives this whole litany of things, and this is what Paul means by God's wrath. I know that's strong language to use, because sometimes you think, oh, well, God's wrath, that's like when he rains down the fire, and, you know, he really brings the heat, which, honestly, he does do that sometimes. Let's just be real, all right, if you read through the Bible. But many times, God's wrath is just letting us experience the consequences of our decisions. We call it passive wrath. He's like, okay, just have it your way. And Paul says, when we start suppressing truth, we live our own way, he says it leads to things like evil, greed, envy, murder, sexual immorality, a lack of love and mercy between people. That is the type of world that results. Look at any major issue in our culture, in our world. I'm willing to make a bet that the large majority of the time, if you really get under the surface, truth is getting suppressed in some way. It's getting pushed down for an alternative narrative and a different type of reality. And this is the cultural moment we find ourselves in. All right? I don't think any of you guys are going to disagree with me so much on my case so far. But even in the middle of this crazy cultural moment we live in, Jesus comes in and he gives a totally different alternative about what it looks like to live in this world. And this is what Jesus says I'm in John 8, verse 31. He says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, my followers. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, just stop there for a moment. That's kind of a strange order of things when I read it. Like when you really look at it. Because here's what I would expect Jesus to say. Once you know the truth, 
that'll kind of set you free and then you can live my teachings out. That's the order I would expect. Or you'll know my truth, you live my teachings, and that will lead to freedom. But no, he actually starts with the behavior. He says, you hold to my teaching, and that will allow you to have a real experience of the truth, which will ultimately express itself in true freedom in your own life. It's an interesting order. And yet, this is the case Jesus is making. Living in this culture, he's saying, we must live truth. That's the challenge from Jesus. We must live truth. There was a commentator just kind of speaking on this little verse from Jesus. He says this, we come to know the truth, not simply by intellectual assessment, but by moral commitment. And this is what you guys got to understand. Truth, it's not just this intellectual exercise, because that's what we think sometimes. Get two smart people in a room, they argue and go back and forth, and we figure out what like, the right thing is. And Jesus is saying, it's, it's not so much that, as much as it is aligning yourself with the way God designed this world and living in that direction. It's living into how God created things to be. And as you obey Jesus and live his teachings, you start to live into true reality. Now, here's the deal, though. That flies in the face of our culture today. Like, that is a very controversial thing to believe. Because what is the attitude of our culture today? Don't impose your morals on me, right? I'll live my way, you live your way, and we won't judge, right? That's what we celebrate. Hey, we're not trying to push anything on anybody else. That is not what you're supposed to do. And here's the thing. It sounds super tolerant and affirming, right? It's like, well, yes. And honestly, that would make my job a lot easier. You know what every single sermon every Sunday would be? Hey, everybody, go do what you want. Have a great day. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> so, wouldn't you love those sermons? That would make my job really easy. But here's the problem. It doesn't quite work that way. Have you guys heard this three-word statement, this was big kind of in our culture the last couple of years, it's kind of phasing out, but live your truth. This was like a huge rally cry of our culture for a while. Live your truth. It sounds super empowering. And I'm not going to lie, on one level, I really kind of like the sound of it. Because there is something valuable about just really being authentic to yourself and, again, leaning into your experience. And yet, you can push it a little far to where you get to define reality for yourself you get to define what truth really is. I had a roommate in college, this is not a joke, I promise you, who was fully committed to this perspective. And we would get into these back and forths, and he'd be like, here's the thing, Brian, every single person has their own individual reality. They get to live what they live, you live what you live. I can't possibly critique what your reality is because it's your experience. So he's like, there's no way you could ever criticize somebody based on how they want to live and how they view things. And I was like, okay. I was like, okay. I was like, what if my reality tells me to shoot you? And this is his response. No joke. He says, well, here's the thing, Brian. I would try to stop you, but I could not tell you what you were doing was wrong because that is your truth and your reality. <laughs> so I shot him. That's what it... <laughs> here's the thing. You can't live in a functioning world with that kind of person. I mean, you push it to an absolute place of ridiculousness. And this is what Paul and Jesus are saying. You try to live your truth, you can do that. But at the end of the day, what it turns into is you justifying your own sinful, selfish behaviors and denying the real truth. And it is slavery. That's what it is. You get enslaved to your own passions, your own desires, and you end up denying truth itself. But Jesus provides this alternative. He says, here's the thing. You lean into my teachings, you will 
experience what truth really is, and it will make you free. Now, how in the world does obedience lead to freedom? I mean, that sounds like legalism. This is what Christians are always criticized for. We always have all these rules and obligations and stuff. Well, let's just do like a fun little mental exercise right here, okay? Let's take like a fish, for example, right? Can you imagine like a fish just swim around the ocean and be like, you know what, I am sick of this water. It's always around me. I just hate having it all around me. It's wet. I hate it. I want to fly. I want to get in the air. And so it's like, okay, fish, go ahead, pull a free willy. Go have fun. You can go around and fly around the sky. How long is it going to take for that fish to start experiencing reality? That is not freedom for a fish to be flying around in the sky. And I know I'm being kind of cheesy here, but just follow me with this. Imagine somebody who's 5'3 and 115 pounds or something. And they're like, my reality is to be an NFL lineman. That is what I am called to do. That is what I was made for. That is why I'm on this earth. Well, you're saying, I don't care how much you like football. I don't care how many steroids you pump in your body. The minute you get on that field and you are standing across from a 6'5", 320-pound giant, and he rolls you over and sits on your face, reality is going to set in pretty quickly, <laughs> okay? So again, I, I know I'm kind of pushing this a little bit, but here's the choice you have. Jesus and Paul are put in front of us. You can live truth or not, but if you do choose to veer away from truth, you eventually are going to have to face the truth. It is going to come to reality. So here's an honest question of reflection for us, guys. Let's really take a moment to ask ourselves this. Is there any place in your life where you might be suppressing truth? Is it possible that you might be justifying behaviors, thought patterns, a lifestyle, thinking that, oh, this is just the way, again, I'm living my life, my truth, but it's actually conflicting with Jesus' teaching itself? I mean, is there really any damage or even pain that's coming to your life because you've been living against truth? Here's Jesus' challenge. Press into my teachings. You will experience real truth. It will set you free. You will be like a fish getting back into the water. And actually, I was just here at the church um, this last Tuesday, and I was jumping into this amazing ministry we have the church called celebrate recovery and it's this incredible ministry that helps people get free from a variety of things just going on in their lives everything from depression ptsd physical abuse substance abuse sexuality stuff eating disorders self-harm codependency anxiety just literally it's the whole gamut and i was here on tuesday and there were just dozens and dozens of people gathering together just to enjoy some food some real relationships, and it was this incredible environment of real hope, encouragement, and helping people really get free from stuff in their life. And I had this moment where I was kind of like, why is this environment so life-giving? Like, why does this feel so positive right now? And I really think the key to the success of that whole ministry is there is zero truth suppression going on. There's none of it. Everybody is completely facing truth. They're saying, hey, this isn't just a bad habit. This isn't just a personality quirk. Like, this is really something going on in my life. 
And I really want to bring people into this and get some freedom from it. And honestly, maybe some of us in this room, maybe today's a day where you say, you know what? That really isn't just kind of like a minor issue in my life. Like, that's a real problem. That's something I need to face. I would even encourage you, maybe this Tuesday, it happens every single Tuesday without fail. You jump in to celebrate recovery, meet some other amazing people going on that journey, and it can set you free. But even just for all of us here, what does it actually look like to hold to Jesus' teaching? How do you hold to it? And there's a million things we could talk about, but I think there is one key piece here that can really keep you grounded in Jesus' teaching and go in that direction of truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus says this, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And anytime we're talking about this idea of sanctification, we're talking about spiritual progress, growth, becoming more like Jesus. And if you look at Jesus' teaching, he has an incredibly high view of the scriptures. Like he sees it as the timeless truth of God. He's always talking about the scriptures being fulfilled and he has it memorized himself and he's digging into it. And here's the deal. You guys got to understand the Bible. This is a spiritual recalibration device. Every time you read it and dig into it, it is realigning you with truth itself. And honestly, if you don't have this in your life on some regular basis, you are going to find something to start defining truth for yourself, whether it's the news or entertainment or whatever. And so it is so critical to have a regular discipline where you're digging into this and letting it reshape the way you understand reality itself. And here's the thing. I know this is such an easy habit to come into and fall out of, and I'm not even trying to bring any guilt. But for anybody in here, if this is not a regular part of your spiritual practices, I would say start today and make it a daily thing. Just start and read a little chunk at a time and just ask yourself as you read it, what does this say about what's true? Does this challenge the way I view the world? Do I need to change my perspective based on what this is saying? Do I need to change the way I'm living based on what this is saying? And I'll tell you, some days you're going to feel super overwhelmed and it's amazing. You're like, oh, Jesus, I just love the Bible. This is so great. And other days, this is not going to feel like a whole lot's happening. But it's that regular discipline you put yourself in that will start to shape and change you into living real truth. And Jesus says that is where true freedom is, living truth. Now, here's the thing. It's not just living truth. There's another piece to this puzzle. We must speak truth. For it to be a really compelling force in society, we've got to live it, but we also have to speak it. Now, in that John 8 section where Jesus is talking about the truth, you know, setting you free, a couple just verses later, he's in the same teaching, and he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil and his involvement in the culture and the world. So this is what Jesus says about Satan. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, again, Jesus is making a case here. He's making an argument. He's saying truth or lies are not just the absence of truth. They're evil. They're dark. They're demonic. And they're often the result of the influence of evil spiritual forces. So much of the spiritual warfare and destruction we see in this world is a battle between truth and lies. It was just a couple weeks ago where a news article went out talking about TikTok. You guys know that huge social media platform that's blown up. And TikTok put out that they've discovered that Russia has thousands 
and thousands of state-run propaganda accounts that have been supporting their invasion of Ukraine. Now, how much is this really affecting even just the social media world? TikTok said just days before Russia's invasion into Ukraine, they saw an 11,000% increase in anti-Ukrainian posts on their platform. How deep does this go into the human condition, this power of lies in our lives? You gotta go all the way back to the beginning to even appreciate how powerful this really is. Sitting in the garden, we got Adam and Eve. Again, we got the first man and first woman. They're living in this perfect utopian environment and Satan shows up, this serpent. And this, at this very moment, the real truth was this danger of this forbidden fruit. God said, hey, you can do whatever you want. Just don't touch that. Trust me, it is not going to go well for you. And Satan inserts himself. And in Genesis 3, this is what he says. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And this really gives us a glimpse into the total human experience. Satan will take some truth and he'll just start to bend it just a little bit. Just get it one degree off. Because here's the thing. He starts just to bend the truth about God a little bit. He's like, hey, God's withholding something from you. Which again, true on some level. But he's like, no, this is something good. God's withholding something good from you. But he even twists the truth about Adam and Eve a little bit. He says, you guys, you can transcend your limitations. You don't have to live in this legalistic box. You can really open your whole world up. This is what's really going to set you free. And then Adam and Eve, we all know the story. They believed the lie. And here we are today. <laughs> Merry Christmas. But here's the thing. You guys may, some of you guys may recognize this name, this guy named M. Scott Peck. He was a famous psychiatrist from the last century. I thought this quote just about the human condition was fascinating. He said this, people become evil when they believe lies and with their body live as if the lie were true. Now, honestly, think about some of the struggles and pain in your own life. And maybe, again, maybe it's self-inflicted, maybe it's not, maybe it's from another person. Just, just think about it. So many times, the damage and the destruction, if you trace it back, can go back to believing a lie. And sometimes it's just a subtle thing, even in the back of your mind, whether somebody said it to you or not. Sometimes just in the back of your mind, you're like, well, no, this is just how I decompress. Or I think that person is the one who's really going to make me happy and fulfilled. I'm doing this for their own good. They won't even know. This is the last time. This is who I truly am inside. And the lies start to seep in. And this is just what we have to understand today, guys. Lies are not just like these harmless little things we kind of toss around to avoid conflict and make life a little bit either, easier. They are the most powerful weapon Satan uses against humanity. Because if he can just twist the truth a little bit in your life, it is just a matter of time before you veer of course and slam right into reality. Now here's the deal. If lies are that powerful, how powerful is the truth then? What kind of force can it have in our culture? 
what would it look like to really live it out and speak it in these different contexts we find ourselves in? Let's flip it in. Let's get a little bit positive here, right? And talk about the opportunity we have here. Paul was writing a letter to some Christians again. At one point, this letter is called Ephesians, and he's talking about the importance of the church, the power of community, and growing into the fullness of what the church is called to do in the culture. Ephesians 4.14, he says, Then we will no longer be infants, spiritually speaking, all right, immature, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. He's talking about lies. He's talking about deception right here. But look what Paul says. Here's the alternative for us is Jesus followers. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Remember that phrase right there. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. This power of truth to transform lives and bring a potent force into the culture. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, I know some of you guys have my experience. I know a lot of people that are very good at just speaking the truth part. You know what I'm talking about? I had this guy at my college university, this old guy who'd always come to campus, and he'd go to like the busiest parts, and he would just start screaming stuff on the corner. Turn or burn, repent. I mean, he was intense, all right? Brother Jed, I remember you. It's burned into my consciousness. And here's the thing. Every time I'm walking by this guy, I'm not going to lie. I was like, you know what? He ain't wrong on one level, all right? I'm just going to be honest. He ain't wrong. But I'm like, dude, you are alienating 25,000 young people. I don't think this is really helping a whole lot. I remember jumping on YouTube and coming across this guy, one of the smartest people I've ever seen, and he would just twist people into these intellectual pretzels with a smile on his face. And I'm like, wow, this dude's super impressive. But the problem is he was really good at winning arguments, but terrible at winning people. And it's like, dude, you may be proving your point, but you are completely pushing these people further away from the actual truth. So here's the thing, church. It is not enough to speak truth. Paul says you have to speak truth in love. Now, that word love has been totally taken captive by our culture. We need to claim this word back because, okay, this is our word. All right, this is a Jesus word. How do you actually define love? The biblical definition. Love is a fierce commitment to another person's good, even at personal cost to yourself. That's what it is. Regardless of any emotions or feelings you have towards the other person, it is this conviction for somebody who follows Jesus, who says, I know the image of God that you are made in. I know the sanctity of your life. And regardless of whether I agree with you, or support your lifestyle, or what you believe, I am committed to your good. You're saying, this is not just sentimentality for us, guys. It's not just a nice Christian thing. This is grounded in the very nature of what we believe about God and who he is. Because Jesus is the greatest expression of love we have ever seen, that God himself came to this world. He left heaven to live a humble life in this world. And then he went to a cross and died in our place, a gruesome death, taking our sin upon himself, the wrath of God that Paul was talking about, he took upon himself and then defeated that sin and death by resurrecting from the dead. So now he has opened the door for anybody having his arms open wide to receive forgiveness and hope, a life of purpose and the hope of eternity. That is what we believe as Christians. That is what motivates our love. We see what Jesus has done for us, so we want to bring it to other people. So i got to ask you today, 
Have you honed the art and skill of speaking truth and love? Have you perfected that craft? I've loved some of the conversations I've had with some of you guys even over the weeks. I've had a lot of teachers come up to me. We have a lot of teachers in our church, which I love. And honestly, they're just like desperate right now. They're just like, Brian, I don't even know what to do. My school is pushing ideology on these kids that I know is so damaging to them. How do I even begin to live out as a Jesus follower in this? And I would say that is such a tough tension to live in. What does it look like to maybe speak and bring truth into a situation like that while also bringing this component of love that draws people in and maybe brings some healing and hope to some kids? I've had some of you guys even come up to me and say, Brian, my entire company is pushing down these new policies and things that contradict my beliefs. I would say, man, that is seriously a tough situation to be in. What does it look like to be pulsating with the love of Jesus so much that if and when you bring truth to that situation, it can actually start bringing some change in your company? I don't know. It's something to wrestle through. Every single one of us, we have family members, we have friends, we have people in our life where there is massive argumentation and back and forth and disunity around all things love our culture and politics and I would say what would it look like for you maybe to step back and say maybe instead of bringing just my opinion on the matter what would it look like to bring truth with real love that can bring some real unity and connection and hope guys it is not just about making a point on Facebook or winning an argument we are trying to win a culture we are trying to win people. That is what we are called to. And I just love this quote from Martin Luther King. It speaks exactly to what we're talking about. He says, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. Amen. This is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil triumphant. I'll tell you what, guys. It may look like lies are winning, but truth always prevails. It may look like the culture is trying to push God out, but I'm telling you what, truth always wins. It may look like people are trying to wage war on Christianity and Jesus himself, but I'm telling you, the truth will reign. It will win. You are on the right side of history if you are on Jesus' side. And I can't end without a great George Orwell comment talking about truth. He says, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Guys, I believe God wants to raise up a revolution of truth in this culture. He needs people that are going to live it and speak it and bring it in love. And that is what is going to cause a compelling force in this culture. You want to see the world changed? You need to be living it. You need to be bringing truth wherever you are. You need to be able to speak it with real tact and love. That is what is going to transform this world. That is what's going to be truly compelling. But there's one last thing we have to understand as we close today. If you really want this, you're like, oh man, I would love to be free. I need some more truth in my life. I got to be living this thing. There are some places I'll come up short. I need to grow in that skill set of speaking this real truth. Every single one of us, you have to have a moment where you decide, we must embrace truth. You gotta embrace it. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, the only way you're ever truly gonna experience real freedom, live out real truth, is through me.
Now that is a massive struggle for our culture because our culture doesn't agree with this. You know, we'd say, hey, we like some of Jesus' teachings. We think he's a good guy, but don't you dare start saying Jesus is essential or he's like the essence of truth. That's going a little bit too far. And I think even some of us here in this room online, let's be, just be honest with ourselves. God may not be playing a central role in your life. Like maybe he's on the periphery, but he is not the central guiding force in your own world. And so I have to ask you a question today. Are you suppressing Jesus? Is it possible that you are suppressing Jesus in your own life? That you're not fully opening yourself up to his presence, power, and very reality happening in and around you? And some of you guys might say, well, I had a bad experience with Christianity, Brian, or I think I have a good intellectual argument against the existence of God. Or honestly, for a lot of us, you're like, well, I just haven't really seriously considered it a whole lot. I've just been kind of busy living my life. And I would just want to ask you again, be honest with yourself. Is it possible maybe you're suppressing Jesus himself? Jesus is looking Pilate right in the face he says, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate has the opportunity of a lifetime to respond to truth itself standing right in front of him. And he missed it. Every single one of us has that exact same opportunity right now. Jesus is right before you. He's saying, will you listen to me? Will you step into my truth and experience the real freedom I have? And God says, when you do that, you will become a force in this world for truth, compelling truth. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that in a world of chaos, a world of deceit, of lies, of truth suppression, we have a promise from you that truth will prevail, that Jesus, you are the truth that we can truly trust in you and place our lives in your hand. And so right now, I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us see through the deception in our culture. Help us see through it, Lord. Help us recognize it online, in conversations, and give us the courage to live into and speak truth in those moments. And I pray for every single one of us here right now, wherever we are in the spiritual spectrum, Lord, that we would not suppress you, Jesus, but we would fully embrace the truth that is you. And as we do that, I pray you would make our church and Jesus followers in Colorado beyond a truly compelling force for truth in this culture and in your world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said a good amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.